0: So, Jamie, we've talked many times about how to fund the cast and how yep. to, you know, take the giant brain to the the next level yep. and how we get the funding for that. Jumping so into the metaverse. Thought, well, maybe, maybe. But I thought, maybe. first of all, what we might do is uh, get into, you know, NFTs and the blockchain. Because obviously <laughs> what everybody wants is NFTs of our faces in different colors with different hats on. Ian you know you know that kind of thing that's a, that's that's the current tech
1: Ian, du jour right you know i'm gonna stop you right there i'm gonna stop you right there it's, uh, it's an interesting plan uh you clearly thought about it uh but you mentioned the uh bandwads here at brilliant waves hq so i'm out
0: oh oh yeah i didn't check the band words list you're right you're right i i'm i'm terribly terribly sorry well you you know the rules I, I do know the rules. I, I even wrote the rules. I know the rules so well that I wrote them and I signed them, and I'm Ian McAllister, signed right down at the bottom there. And I'm Jamie Adams, and this
1: is Brainwaves episode 96, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 18th of April, 2022. Play new game Dungeons & Scammers, Asthma Day open up about their plans, and Wizards of the Coast goes beyond Dungeons & Dragons. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves.
0: We have, regrettably, reported many times on the world of blockchain and non-fungible tokens or NFTs. These, indeed. These two technologies are the hot ticket in certain parts of the internet at the moment, with everyone from computer games giant Ubisoft and whiskey distiller Ardbeg, I'm not kidding, getting in on the game. Well, only one of them has harboured sexual abusers. As far as we're aware, aware. allegedly.
1: No, it's not allegedly. Only one of them is right.
0: That's true, actually. It's not allegedly. Many have speculated that some of the big companies in our industry, like Wizards of the Coast, will eventually bring the technology to the world of the tabletop. But that hasn't happened yet. The story we're about to cover was first picked up by tech site Gizmodo. Another company has beaten Wizards of the Coast to the tabletop NFT Punch. Gripner, G-R-I-P-N-R, I I hate that name as much as you do, is a company proposing a digital platform that will allow fans of Dungeons & Dragons to play the game using player characters that are represented on the blockchain by an NFT. After a session, you would save the details of the characters' adventures on the chain, and as you leveled and played, the value of the NFT would increase. What? Yeah, you're not alone in thinking that, Jamie. When I read this article, I was in that boat as well. One, one second, one second. Uh, I, I have a quick
1: question just before you go on the story. Play the game. Are you playing Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition?
0: You're playing Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition,
1: yes. And this has got this. This would have
0: uh, Wizards of the Coast's... Go ahead. We'll get to that. Grittner's okay. model seems to be based around an idea of pay-to-play and then play-to-earn. After their platform is complete... No one outside of Gripner has seen this platform yet, by the way. The company will generate about 10,000 Dungeons & Dragons characters and assign them to an NFT each. Each one will also have a randomly generated portrait assigned to them created by Gripner's in-house team. Players can only advance these characters by playing in gripner approved games overseen by one of their GMs. You'll also be able to sell loot, weapons, etc. on OpenSea, a popular NFT marketplace which has been robbed several times.
1: Well, it's an open sea, there be pirates on the seas,
0: especially the open seas. Arr. There is a cost, of course, to engaging with this system. Every time an NFT is minted, recorded on the blockchain, a small gas fee is applied. This may need to happen twice a session in Gripner's proposal, once at the start and end of each adventure. What is a what's what does that mean? A gas fee? Is that due to the ecological That's what they refer to these little fees in order to mint NFTs on the blockchain as. They refer to it as a gas fee. I don't know why, they just do.
1: I'm sure I'm sure if there are crypto bros, they'll be like, well, it stands for this, and I go, Great, why are you
0: actually opening your mouth to me? Yeah. <laughs> there is some speculation as to whether or not Gripner will even be able to do this. They say they can under the open gaming license, the OGL. But when Wizards was asked for comment on the matter by Gizmodo, they said, we do not allow third parties to misappropriate our valuable intellectual property and take appropriate steps when necessary. Now, keep in mind at the moment, the Gripner isn't a thing as yet. They haven't actually made all this stuff happen as yet. The Gizmodo article went out on the 8th of April. And at that time, the Gripner community was quite small, about 500 followers on Twitter. I checked just before this cast started, they're up to 555 and less on their Discord, which I haven't checked. If they are looking to create a community, they have quite a hill to climb. They do have an official Glimmering Twitter account, which is the first content for the game, the first sort of setting that they're going to be playing in, with 55 followers. That Twitter account describes their model as play to progress. You know, like all RPGs have been since the dawn of RPGs. It's also hard to say who will be buying characters that are leveled up, thus creating value within the system. Also, it's hard to say what is going to stop people fixing a game to just make more money inside the Gripner ecosystem. But what we do know is that Gripner just finished its first round of investment funding, and they raised two and a half million dollars. Now, throughout the history of Dungeons & Dragons, there has been a lot of organised Dungeons & Dragons play. There are Living Greyhawk campaigns, there's been Living, sort of, forgotten realms campaigns there was the Adventurers league for fourth edition there's a similar adventures league for fifth edition if i remember correctly
1: yep there's also an Adventurers league style thing for pathfinder first edition
0: yeah so that, that sort of organized play has always been there and i can see value in creating a system where people could just rock up off a night and play dungeons and dragons virtually be mate, maybe matched up into a game of an appropriate level their appropriate experience i can see some value in that right that would be interesting however with gripner system here you have to be inside their system always you can't really you could like copy your character and take it off and play that game elsewhere but there's no value in doing that to you and who knows how difficult that's going to be throughout the history of multi, massive multiplayer online games like world of warcraft people have always sold characters as well not with the permission of Blizzard, it has to be said, but that sort of thing has always gone on. You, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like people actually selling like the the passwords
1: to the characters? and
0: They'll sell a character, like maybe they'll sell an account with characters on it leveled up to a certain level. That kind of thing has always kind of gone on. All right. But there is some investment there. Someone has to sit there and level a character through the World of Warcraft system in order to get them to a certain level. So, you know, there's labour being performed at some point. I can't see why you'd want to buy a Dungeons and Dragons character. I can just go into my Dungeons and Dragons books and make a level 20 wizard or whatever. You know, I can just do that. There is no value in me buying a level 15 character in Grippner's system, which I can only use in Grippner games and through with Grippner GMs. There's no value in that unless it becomes the predominant way to play Dungeons and Dragons, well, no, which no, seems extremely
1: unlikely. You can play it, but you can only, according to your story here, you can only advance them by playing in gripner approved games overseen by a gripner approved GM.
0: Yeah, you could t- you could take the character outside and go and play your own D&D at home. But why have you bought the NFT of that character at that point? Basically, what we're looking at here at the moment sounds a bit like a pyramid scheme to me. It's only valuable within Gripner's system. And you're doing work in order for other people to buy them and for Grippner to make money? It just it, it seems baffling to me. I'd also like to draw people's attention to this. I'd just like to draw pe- people's attention to this fact as well. It's been well reported that the then CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey's, very first tweet was bought last year by someone for $2.9 million, an NFT of it. So a, a unique version of that tweet was bought by someone for $2.9 million. That person then tried to sell that very recently. The top offer was in the thousands of dollars range. So these things are only valuable within a within a given ecosystem. They, you can't really take them outside that ecosystem and have them be worth something. It's just, just get NFTs out gaming. I won't stop reporting on NFTs and gaming. They're kind of interesting, so that's why we're reporting on them. And I don't like what Gripner's doing here. They seem to be completely misunderstanding the nature of role-playing games. No,
1: they understand it. It's trying to make money off the rubes. And I'm going to say again, Ian, as I said last time, I think the word interesting needs to develop. It's interesting, but again, me reaching through my computer screen and slapping your face would be interesting. And impressive. Exactly. But it's what they're doing is, it's impressive in the, the amount that they've been able to get by hoodwinking so many people
0: yeah i mean i i think this kind of technology is actually a threat to games and gaming in general it's much more prevalent in computer gaming for obvious reasons because computer game technology is massively more tied in to this kind of tech but yeah i I think it's an actual threat to the the ecosystems of gaming and the games we play it really needs to just get in the sea So, Jamie, let's move on to something a little bit more light and a little bit more uh, friendly to the board gaming world. Okay.
1: now back in February of 2021, Asmodee, the board game conglomerate pretty much, announced the acquisition of the virtual board game site Board Game Arena. Now, if you want to listen to our coverage of that, it was back in episode 67, although it's pretty much just what we said or what I said. Now, at the time, it was a sign that Asmodee saw a digital offering as a big part of its future. Now we're getting to see a little bit of that future with the recent announcement of Unbox Now. It's not a new line of games, but a selection of games that Asmodee considers their best. Maybe best-selling, maybe they're best-rated. Most of us will recognise these as at least perennial best-sellers, sometimes referred to as evergreen titles. The titles are Catan, Rivals of Catan, Pandemic, Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride Europe, Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Duel, Azul, Splendor, Carcassonne, Dixit, and the Unlock series of puzzle games. The Unbox main site gives a slick overview of each of these games alongside rules and video tutorials. Now why did we mention Board Game Arena? Well quite simply, besides getting all this help to get the game to your table, you also get access to the game on Board Game Arena. A canny move by Asmodee here, integrating physical and digital offerings. Uh, obviously, kicks not kick-started, but given a kick up the bum at least by, well, the change in fortunes due to the pandemic.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting range of games. There. I, I'm especially interested to see a couple of two-player-specific games in there. So you got Rivals of Catan, you've got Seven Wonders Duel in there. And yeah, it's a, it's a nice range of games in there, different types. So there's, there's some cooperative games in there. They're all, they're all on the lighter side for sure. But yeah, that's, it's great to see Asmodee trying to make the sort of transition into board gaming a little easier with like video, video tutorials or rule books. And they're very non judgmental about that on the site. They say, hey, here's a video tutorial. If you prefer the rule book, here's the vers- that version of the rule book. And uh, they do say in the statement that they they may we re- re- rework the rule books a little bit make them a little easier to understand so i'm really interested to see what happens with those uh, when those come out
1: well after a lot of attempts of various companies to do you know integrated we've got an app let's say and we can give you the instructions to a, a video uh, instructions to a game on how to set it up and play it i mean as i said it was only a matter of time before asmodee went right we're doing this in house with our stuff so we don't have other people telling us what to do and again, with every technological thing they say, or I say, they hope their lineup and releases are consistent. Because that's fine to have these unboxed titles, but are they going to add anything?
0: Well, it'll be an experiment. I guess they'll see how it goes and whether they get uh, increased sales of those. I'd imagine we'll see a lot of those titles in more mainstream outlets, things like Warstones, maybe uh, Supermarkets. And uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm imagine they'll be watching the sales closely and seeing if that improves their fortunes. Like they need to improve, they are doing incredibly well, and speaking of companies doing
1: incredibly well, Ian has news about Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons again
0: yes, Wizards of the Coast has recently bought d and d beyond now d and d Beyond is the biggest digital Dungeons and Dragons portal in the world. You can buy official d and d products through it and you can create characters and do all sorts of sort of administrative stuff for your game on d and d beyond there's also a lot of and oh no, I'm thinking of something
1: else am I thinking of. Is that the one that also has like a lot of fan made creations, like stuff that went through like Critical Role that you can kind of buy and add?
0: Yeah, it's, it's got all sorts of D and D products on it, not just official, not just main official stuff, but it's also got lots of supplements and all sorts of things on there that you can buy. Uh, I hadn't even realised that this part of sort of Dungeons and Dragons online ecosystem wasn't part of Wizards of the Coast until this piece of news popped up. D and D Beyond is in fact owned by Fandom, or it was, or it kind of still is. The sale still to complete. Fandom describes itself as the world's largest fan platform. It acquired D&D Beyond in 2019 and has grown it into a huge RPG digital toolset with 10 million registered users. Hasbro are buying Dungeons & Dragons Beyond from Fandom for $146.3 million and integrating it into Wizards of the Coast. From that press release... This strategic acquisition will further strengthen Hasbro's capabilities in the fast-growing digital tabletop category, while also adding veteran talents to the Wizards of the Coast team and accelerating efforts to deliver exceptional experiences for fans across all platforms. Chris Cox, the Hasbro CEO, said, The acquisition of D&D Beyond will accelerate our progress in both gaming and direct consumer two priority areas of growth for Hasbro, providing immediate access to a loyal, growing player base. Hasbro's gaming portfolio is among the largest and most profitable in the industry and we continue to make strategic investments to grow our brands, including in digital. The press releases also say that the royalty that fandom was paying to Hasbro on a yearly basis represented a significant contribution to the fastest growing source of revenue for Dungeons & Dragons. It goes on to claim that 80% of Dungeons & Dragons fans have played the game on digital platforms in 2021 and strongly hints that the digital side of the game will become a major area of focus for Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast in the future. Now, we have speculated on this cast and there has been much speculation in the industry in general over the last few years that Wizards will eventually release its own digital Dungeons & Dragons platform. At the moment, the main places to play that kind of thing online are roll 20 there's foundry there's a couple of other virtual tabletops out there as well roll 20 is a sort of big one that we talk about fairly frequently but yeah there's been a lot of speculation that wizards rather than letting other companies do that for them and taking a piece of the pie Wizards just are just going to do it direct and i would be very surprised if we don't see some kind of wizard's for Wizards Digital Platform launched alongside 6th Edition whenever that emerges. Because that seems to be the way they're going.
1: Well, as long as they keep releasing things for 5th Edition for now, I don't think it'll be very far in the future.
0: And when we talked about 6th Edition not two, three casts ago, it did sound like 6th Edition is going to be very close to 5th Edition. I think oh, there'll be a lot of backwards compatibility with 5th Edition products anyway. Anyway, let's get on to a bit of news.
1: Back in episode 93, we covered the support the tabletop gaming community was giving the fight for trans rights in the US state of Texas. A bundle had been put together to raise money for the Transgender Education Network of Texas and Organización Latina Trans Texas. That bundle closed out at $400,004, raising just over $200,000 for each organization. Fantastic achievement. Congratulations to all those involved. Keep fighting the good fight.
0: Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Well done, everyone involved. A couple of casts ago, we briefly touched on the call from one of Hasbro's investors to spin off the company Wizards of the Coast. Al Fox, a significant investor in Hasbro, had called for Wizards of the Coast to be spun off in order to create revenue for Hasbro to invest in other properties. The following is from a report by Geek Native. Hasbro didn't agree, saying in a Wall Street Journal article, that the move would be unlikely to create value as contrary to Hasbro's strategy and would negatively impact the benefits Wizards realises today. AltaFox were also trying to get members onto the board of Hasbro, but that move has also been rejected. Let's get on to the main news. Yep, that's right. It's time for me to... Polish off my awards
1: Homburg. Polish off? No, I'm not eating it. Put do, it on Do you polish a Homburg? No, I don't know. I'm not even entirely sure what a Homburg is. I just like this. As I said before, I like the sound of the word Homburg. Uh, no, I know it's a type of hat. Uh, but yes, we have an awards trifecta for you this time. First, the American Tabletop Awards have been announced. Uh, the winners are, in the early gamers category, Happy City by Toshiki Sato and Airu Sato, published by Gameright. In the Casual Games section, it is Kubitos by John D. Clare, published by Alderac Entertainment Group, more commonly known as AEG. In Strategy Games, it's Cascadia by Randy Flynn, published by FlatOut Games and AEG. And in the Complex Games category, the winner is Lost Ruins of Arnak by Elwin and Mean, published by Czech Games Edition. Now, the awards committee itself is a diverse group of 10 people from all across the American board gaming sphere. Well done to all the winners of the American Tabletop Awards. Moving on very, very swiftly, we have the Dice Tower Award nominees announced. Now, renowned tabletop network, the Dice Tower. I mean, it was pretty much the Dice Tower I got into board gaming. This year, they have 15 categories, with all but one of them having five nominees. The exception being the Game of the Year Award, which has nine. Out of all the nominated games, I have played a grand total of two of them that being Oath from Leader Games and Seven Wonders Architects from Ripos Productions. Thus, further proof that I don't know what I'm talking about regarding games and awards, and I should probably just quit while I'm ahead. How about that? Nope, okay. Rubbish. Uh, uh, No, thank you. The winner will be announced in July at the Dice Tower Summer Spectacular. Maybe by that time, I might have played some more of those games. I doubt it, though. We can, I hope. Yeah. And finally, the Gaming Awards spelt G-A-Y-M-I-N-G, awards, billed as the first and only global award ceremony celebrating LGBTQ plus video gaming, returns for another year, this time with an in-person award ceremony at London's Troxy Theatre on the 25th of April. Now, alongside awards for indie video games and big budget video game titles, the LGBTQ Tabletop Game Award will also be announced, hosted by Twitch streamers Shaba and Jamie. Obviously, not me, for a multitude of reasons. The nominees for this award are Adventuring with Pride, Queer We Go Again by Jack Dixon, published by The Pocket Workshop, The House Doesn't Always Win by Michael Wheels Whelan, a self-published title, Thirsty Sword Lesbians by April Kit Walsh, published by Evil Hat Productions, and "Wander Home by Jay Dragon, published by Possum Creek Games. The whole awards are in partnership with streaming platform Twitch and 20% of all the ticket sales are going to the It Gets Better Project, a project whose mission is to uplift, empower, and connect LGBTQ plus youth around the globe. Nice. Fantastic. Ian, I know that you uh, published an article recently about awards. I know you're not a fan yeah. of some of them.
0: Uh, I just uh, Well, the article talks about why awards exist and the need for awards when they're put out to establish trust with the people that are you know looking at the awards like so it starts from the like the oscars and goes into all sorts of different areas of awards but yeah i, I think like if you're going to put out an award you need to establish trust with that award of like how you've gone about putting it together why it's there what it's awarding like who's involved that kind of thing so, like the American Tabletop Awards, they came out two, three years ago, and they seem to really like come and go very quickly. No one seems to really celebrate that they've won an American Tabletop Gaming Award ever. Like Dice Tower Awards, you do see those boxes. You know, Dice Tower, like Jamie says, huge content creators got a lot of people into board gaming. Their award comes with a lot of weight, and that's because they have. A element of trust with their audience of like the games that they say these games are great they're pointing out certain games and saying these are the ones that we think are the best of the best and that's totally reasonable the gaming awards i don't know m- much about and i can't really speak to because i i haven't really encountered them before this article but they sound great i mean uh I- an award that's helping out uh a charity partnership as well sounds like a really good idea it's celebrating uh marginalized people within the gaming sphere and it's um giving some money to charity sounds great I think awards need to have a point. Basically, they need to like like we've given out awards before. But, yeah, but our awards and, don't mean anything. Our awards don't mean anything, but the people that follow us know why we're giving those out. They they trust us to have an, have certain opinions, and and they know what we like and what we don't like. Oh, poor deluded fools! Those poor deluded fools. But you know, they, we 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 have a rapport with our audience, and they they trust our opinions on on those things. <laughs> yeah. so yeah i i just i just think there's a there's a trust needs established with awards
1: i was going to say that with the last two or three years i think it's fine for those american tabletop awards to be there 2020 onward has been let's say a strange time for all of us so maybe it's just taking time for the awards to gain traction and maybe we will start seeing those awards uh, as stickers on boxes very very soon
0: maybe who knows again
1: we'll see need to go to game shops more I'll say that. I went hey. to one recently and I couldn't find what I was looking for. Ian, talking about games that you can usually find. Stonemaier Games.
0: We like to report on the financial health or otherwise of our hobby, but getting proper data on such matters can be a bit tricky. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Financial, this is my job. Shouldn't I be putting on my financial trousers? Uh, I've got them on. They fit quite nice. They're snug. Some companies do put out financial breakdowns. Most famously, Steve Jackson Games has been doing this for years and Stonemeyer Games has been doing so as well since 2016. The most recent Stonemaier Games report makes for some interesting reading. Overall revenue was $24.7 million. That was up from $17.9 million in 2020. They have only three full-time employees, including Jamie Stegmaier, and three part-time employees. They do, however, have about 100-plus independent contractors. So that's a lot of freelancing that they give out. They released two new games in 2021 and two new expansions. Uh, 91% of the revenue in 2021 came from distributors, localization partners, and digital games, with only 9% being direct consumer sales. You can buy Stoneman's games directly from their site, and they have US and European distribution at the very least. The article also breaks down lifetime sales for their 12 games. They do have a 13th one coming, Libertalia, but that's yet to fully release. Standing atop their list is Wingspan with 1,410,539 units, followed by Scythe at 517,102 units, and the Fitticulture comes in third at 204,326. That is a scary amount of
1: units of Wingspan. I mean, you could almost call it something like, uh, I don't know, uh, picking a, a phrase at random here off the top of the, the old uh, noodle, uh, a cultural juggernaut i'm going to get that on a t-shirt for you yay i'm a cultural juggernaut i, I am not a cultural juggernaut wingspan is i've, I've only i've only played it once
0: i actually quite enjoyed an it ma- an amazing number of units of wingspan and considering how big scythe is in the hobby gaming world uh, it's fascinating to see how many more units wingspan are sold compared to it I tell, I tell you it was that coronation street plug yeah, absolutely. That's what did it. The article does note that shipping costs continue to be an issue for for the company, and that they will be for the foreseeable future. Now, Jamie Stegmaier has courted some controversy from time to time, but I appreciate any company being open and honest about what it takes to make their company actually work. I think it's very eye opening seeing how few employees a company that I I would consider to be a sort of medium weight player in the board game world. I think that's probably right, Jamie. Yeah.
1: I, I think it's a very reasonable estimation to have
0: yeah, yeah uh, they have very few actual employees they're making a decent amount of money they do say in that article that profits are down quite a lot due to shipping issues uh, but yeah it's, it, i think it's good to have this kind of information out there especially for those who are looking to go into this business themselves it's good to have some proper data out there fantastic now talking about companies releasing big products for money uh dark souls from from software is very much the ghost stories of the video game world i think it's fair to say a game with a reputation it very much deserves as jamie puts it and i'm gonna have to say it because he wrote it down here the cultural juggernaut moniker
1: i am celebrating i know you can't see this this is not great radio it's not radio it's a podcast but i'm
0: celebrating oh yes He, he said it he said it folks Alongside the renowned video game series, there has been a board game, a card game, both from publisher Steamforge Games in the UK. Steamforge recently announced that they'd be releasing an RPG for the Dark Souls IP based on the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons ruleset. The game has now been released and there has been a bit of a buzz about it, but maybe not the sort of buzz that a company would really want. Players have begun assembling a long list of bugs and game issues from the 500-page rulebook on Reddit, which range from spelling errors and mentions of Dungeons and Dragon classes that aren't present in the Dark Souls version, to major rules, conflicts, and issues. These include stating that hitting 0 hit points is instant death, but there's a healer's kit that stabilises characters at 0 hit points, uh, the fall control spell being harder to cast the higher level a player gets, and it, the biggest clunker I've seen so far is that the knight class is unable to equip its starting armor due to max starting strength being under the requirement needed for wearing it. Now, that kind of error has been commonplace amongst role-playing games for many a year. There's a, There have been examples of this kind of thing where examples of play for instance in various role playing games have included things that are effectively impossible within the confines of the system where classes again have not been able to have the requisite attributes to where the bits of armor or weapons or whatever it is that they are meant to start with that has been quite common but Steamforce has a bit of a reputation with Dark Souls the board game took absolutely years to deliver I believe it is now all out but it took a long time past its delivery date to actually be delivered. And the game got middling reviews. I think it's fair to say that's probably being a bit kind. Again, I've not played it. I can't comment. I've got friends who've played it and really enjoy
1: it, but I've also got friends who actually it was uh, Ben of Ashenhold art. uh, When he was with the Unlucky Frog, I was around at his gaming one night and a cop, like one of the Dark Souls expansions showed up and he was like, Oh, I didn't realize that was still coming i've sold all that
0: <laughs> yeah it took a long time for everything to arrive it, it seems like a really weird way to release an rpg in this day and age so we just talked earlier about how digital is such a big thing in role-playing games and it would seem like a much better idea to release the digital version of the real book because rpgs are complicated let's face it like a big rpg like this it is a complicated project to undertake and you could put out the digital version and ask the players to feedback to you on any little issues that you might have missed that seems like a reasonable thing to do and the pdf is of course very easy to edit and change physical book not so much the a-state rpg released by local company handiwork games has put out its digital version recently to backers i was a backer for the game it's, a, it's based on force in the dark which is the blazing the dark, uh, blazing the dark core system so i was an instant backer some friends of mine are involved in it and we've interviewed john hodgson who's the ceo of anywhere games a couple of times and they put out their digital version first the physical version is going to come later they've done a lot of hard work on it it looks really good but they have also said hey we can't catch everything we've done our best but if you catch anything please feedback to us and that'll go into the physical product thank you very much and that seems like a much better way to release an rpg in this day and age uh, listeners if you'd like if you have any particular if you play role-playing games
1: and you have any particular uh like quirks from a rule book that you really enjoy your favorite ones please let us know because we'd like to hear you know things and yeah you know there's there's human error that's absolutely fine we are all simply people but sometimes it can be kind of interesting or unfortunate or quite funny
0: people who don't make mistakes are our lovely, lovely patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the cast, especially our executive producers, James Naylor and Sean Newman of the Gamealot team. I will link to all of uh, James and Sean's bits and pieces in the show notes. You can join them on our Patreon. Uh, We'll put a link to all that bits and pieces in the show notes. And we just like to remind all our listeners that scotland's biggest gaming convention tabletop scotland will be happening over the weekend of the 27th and 28th of august in perth this year i'll be there jamie will be there some members of the giant brain team past and present will be there and we're really looking forward to it and we'll hope to see some of you there anyway jamie you failed to find monopoly news for me but you found something better
1: i failed to find monopoly news and it's yeah i'm deciding i'm I'm making a slight change sometimes it'll be monopoly news sometimes it's going to be interesting releases that catch my eye usually for a slightly more esoteric reason rather than
0: i like the look of this and i like that kind of game
1: this one is the world war ii most wanted art deck of playing cards released by the monuments men foundation for the preservation of art The deck includes 52 works of art and two sets of historical photo albums featuring works confiscated and coveted by the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. Artistic cultural objects spanning the 10th through the 20th centuries and major European artists from various periods are represented in the deck. The foundation worked with the owners of these objects as well as museums and law enforcement agencies to complete the research into the circumstances of each loss. All the pieces of art in the deck are of art that is still missing to this day, art that was stolen by or was hidden from the nazis during world war ii now in 1943 the monuments men were were, organization was founded to recover and protect those artworks Uh, it was disbanded officially in 1946 but this is a a sort of successor foundation uh, carrying on its work because as i said all this art that's in this deck is still lost And actually, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Monuments Men Foundation President Anna Bottinelli told news site Dicebreaker, There are no other examples of decks of cards being used to find missing works of art. However, it is an old US military tradition to produce decks of cards to create awareness about a specific subject. Most recently, decks were produced featuring most wanted fugitives from the the Iraq war and to help soldiers identify aircraft in World War II. The works included are the ones we have a reason to believe survived the war. We aren't wasting time on works we believe to have been destroyed. Their whereabouts also had to be unknown. None of them are currently the subject of a court case. And there's a really... Yeah! I mean, I don't know if our dear listeners are looking at some old art they've had in their family for generations going, I wonder if that's worth a bob or two.
0: Yeah. Get, Get a deck of cards and check your attics, everyone. You might be holding on to a priceless piece of art. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast around and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can come and join us and chat to us in our Discord. You can find all our written work on our website, giantbrain.co.uk. You can email us about anything in the show at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.